0: Well, thanks, Amber. It's so good to have you and Emily leading worship for our time together. It's just rich and, you know, we've gotten settled in and had a good dinner and some good fellowship around the table and made some new friends and welcomed the Holy Spirit through our worship. And I think it's time for the heart of this eternity conversation with the Lord to begin. You know, we talked earlier about the comparison God wants us to make, to consider Am I a person who is building my life on temporal things, the sand, or am I a person who's building my life on the eternal rock of Jesus? Now, obviously, the right answer is Jesus. Jesus is always the right answer. But knowing the right answer is Jesus and actually living the right answer are two different dynamics. You know, just like I told you earlier, my son and my nephew knew deep within them that their sandcastle wasn't going to last. And yet they built all day long, long, kind of hoping something different was going to happen. And when we leave here on Sunday morning, we don't want to just know in our heads that it's best to build an eternal life. We want to be really changed to actually do it, right? You know, when you're in the presence of the Lord in his word and you're seeking him, you cannot help but be changed. So I know that change will happen for each one of us this weekend as we do those things. So I want to encourage you to be expectant that God has something for you this weekend and join in with everything that you have. As I told you earlier before dinner, our focus for this past, for this weekend is going to be this passage in 2 Corinthians 4. And this weekend, we're going to work our way through that entire chapter and we're going to give God some time to have a conversation with us about eternity. So let's open up our Bibles to there. I'm going to be teaching out of the NASB version. I gave you a copy of that in Your folder, so you might want to pull that out. You also have a a sheet for notes in your folder if you'd like to use that as well. And um, you'll see there that definition of eternity that I gave you before that says eternity is more than an infinite length of time. It's a depth and breadth of relationship with the one true eternal God. Eternity invites us to live with a rich substance of being and an infinite extent of divine life and glory that weighs far more than what our fleshly lives can envision or contain. So as we begin in 2 Corinthians, I want to set the chapter up for you, and I want to encourage you to stick with me. It's a little bit um, lengthy for some of this introductory stuff, but it's so important that we understand these things foundationally before we just jump right into the chapter. 2 Corinthians 4 is one chapter among many in two letters that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, and that's why we have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians in our Bibles. Paul, he had like a pastoral role in in many different churches that he connected with and on the missionary journeys that he took. You can read about all of those in the book of Acts. But Corinth was one of those churches. Now, generally speaking, the church at Corinth was weak. It was surrounded by idolatry and immorality. And they struggled with their Christian faith and their lifestyle. I mean, they wanted to believe that Jesus... Uh, was their salvation and be saved and know that they could go to heaven when they died. But you know what? There was so much going on around them. There was such a world of prosperity and immorality going on around them that it was hard for them to find that that um, meshing of their faith with, with how to step aside and a step apart from all of that. And, you know, in a lot of ways, it sounds like Christians in America today. Now Paul couldn't always be there with them. He was traveling in many places, or sometimes put in jail even. So a lot of times he visited them and you know poured into them in ministry while he was there. But many times he also just wrote letters. And I say just wrote letters. I mean those letters have become uh, scripture to us. And God has so uh, moved on when Paul. God so moved on Paul's heart to write these letters because we know the Holy Spirit. Did that, and so many times he pastored them through letters that he would write, and we get the privilege now of reading those and gleaning faith from from those things. And he would tell them and instruct them on how their faith was to be expressed in their lives. Now, his first letter to the Corinthians directly confronted specific moral issues that were happening in the church. It was an intense letter, but it was pretty well received. Um, pretty well received by most. But there were others who got really upset about that letter, and they created a lot of drama about it, denying Paul's authority and slandering him and the letter that he had written. So that that tells us uh, about 1 Corinthians, but we know that there are 1 Corinthians and then 2 Corinthians, which is where we're going to be studying uh, this weekend. So what about 2 Corinthians? What's the deal with that? Well, it was written by Paul to defend his position against those who were accusing him Of all kinds of things because of that letter and because he was defending himself what we find is 2nd Corinthians is intensely personal and chapter 4 is especially so now I know you might be thinking I thought we were going to talk about eternity what does all of this have to do with eternity well it has a great deal to do with eternity see because it is an intensely personal letter It really gives us an upfront look, an up-close look into Paul's perspective and his thoughts and his activity and his values. And, you know, that's where you really have to look to see if someone is really building a life on the eternal rock of Jesus. You can't always tell by looking at what you see on the outside. Paul was someone who had heard the words of Jesus. And so through this personal chapter that he wrote, we get to look inside his life and see what he actually did with those words of Jesus. Did he build his life here in the sand or did he actually take those words to heart and begin to live them and build on the rock of Christ for eternity? Now, a lot of people would think, of course, I mean, it's a given that Paul was focused on eternity. He was a missionary. He was a preacher and he was a leader in the church. And, and that's all true. But I would also say the people who came against him in regard to that letter, they were church leaders too. And many of the religious leaders of the day, you know, were, were the leaders of the people spiritually and doing all kinds of religious acts. But doing religious acts and holding a title in, in a religious institution does not constitute building your life on the eternal rock of Jesus. Like we already said, it goes much deeper than that. And ladies, this weekend, God wants to go deep with us. So we're going to settle into this chapter that really reveals where Paul is building his life. And God's going to use this chapter to reveal some things about where we're building too. See, as we look at Paul's life, God is going to be asking us about our own. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4. As we get started in it, I actually want to go to the end of the chapter first. Verses 16 through 18 are the last three verses, and I mentioned them earlier to you before dinner, but let me share them with you again. They say, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Ladies, these verses are all about eternity. And we're starting with these verses at the end in chapter 4 for two reasons. First of all, these verses, these last three verses about eternity are going to be the backdrop of our whole time together this weekend. You know, sometimes you don't know the point that someone is trying to make until they get to the end of what they're saying. And I think that's the case here. So I wanted us to look at these ending verses first so that we can see that the personal thoughts that Paul shares in the whole chapter are definitely driven by this eternal focus that he gives in the end. But there's also a second reason that we went to the end of 2 Corinthians 4 at the beginning here. Not only are these four Not only are these three verses about eternity going to be the backdrop of our study, as they're really the point of what Paul's words all are in 2 Corinthians 4, but we're also going to memorize these three verses. Now, I know when I say that word memorize that a lot of us panic because we think, I can't memorize, but I want to encourage you that you can. I believe so much in the power of scripture memorization, and a lot of time, we don't do it because we don't know how, and we don't have the time. Well, this weekend, you have the time, and we're going to all be doing it together, so we're going to all encourage one another, and we're here this weekend to help you. Everybody has a certain way that they memorize best, and I call it your memorization strength, so for me, that's visual, I'm a visual memorizer. But other people memorize in, in, by hearing those words or writing them down, different things like that. And we'd like to help you figure that out. So we're excited about having this time this weekend to really zoom in on these three verses and memorize them. And you know, we're also gonna give you these cards right here, these laminated cards of these three verses. So that we're all memorizing them in the same version. But the neat thing about it is because they're laminated, you can take them with you everywhere this weekend. They can go to the pool. They can go to the beach. They can even go in that amazing shower that some of you have. I often memorize scripture in the shower because it's just idle time. I mean, I just go through the routine of the things I do. I don't have to think about it. And so I can be putting my mind somewhere else. And so much of scripture memory is doing that. Putting um, intentionality to those idle moments in our lives, taking them captive to do something with them that has a greater a greater value, in this case, a definite eternal value. So let's pass out these cards, and I'm just going to uh, get us started here uh, in in this chapter now that we've set the foundation for all of it. I told you earlier that God is going to use four words this weekend to frame these conversations about eternity the words are vision vessel value and victory and our first word tonight is vision okay vision I don't know if you've ever had problems with your vision I'm looking around and I see some of you wearing glasses so I know that some of you have I definitely can relate to that I have as well When I was in kindergarten, just this little girl, five years old, they wanted to do the vision screening test. And I was told that my vision was horrible. I didn't know my vision was horrible, you know, until somebody tells you you have horrible vision. You just think that's what a tree looks like until they give you glasses. And then you're like, oh, that's what a tree looks like. or that's what your face looks like. I didn't know the difference. Until I got these little brown wire, um, brown little rimmed glasses. They were about this big. And, you know, I look back now and I think, oh, they look so cute. You know, at the time, I didn't feel like it. I mean, my brother and my sister made fun of me and you know I was the only one in my family it's interesting now as you hear the rest of the story I'm the only one in the family that doesn't have a vision problem now and so (laughs) I I really appreciate that but I didn't like having to wear glasses but I was thankful to be able to see and so a few years after that I kind of graduated into these octagon shaped gold wire rim glasses and they weren't really cute and you know most fourth grade little girls aren't too cute anyway. I'm sorry if you have one. I don't mean that, but you know, that's when you really start going through that awkward stage and I had it really, really bad. And then went on a couple years after that to these like massive like saucer glasses things that were just downright ugly. And then when I was about 13, my my aunt Joyce who was like my favorite aunt She helped me to convince my, we really concocted a plan for convincing my mom and dad that I was responsible enough to get contact lenses. And so that year, I got to get contact lenses, and they were hard contact lenses. And I held my eyes open like this, you know, for like three weeks. And people would say, just wear your glasses. And I'm like, no, no, they're fine, they're fine. Because I just hated wearing glasses, but they hurt so bad. So several years after that, I ended up getting soft contacts. I don't know if any of you were the ones that you had to like put in the little boiler. Did anybody ever have to do that? You know, you squirt the stuff in, put it in the boiler overnight. One one night when I was in college, I think it was my sophomore year, and I've been studying. I was so tired and I forgot to put the solution in and so the next morning I opened the boiler and they looked like little frosted flakes so then I had to wear my glasses and you know just all these different things I did gas permeable contacts and then I got an allergy in my eyes and had to do daily throwaway contact fast forward through you know years and years and years of trying to be able to see well and dealing with that issue and in 2003 I found myself climbing aboard a semi truck parked in Norfolk Virginia behind this Holiday Inn and I I was getting on that truck to have laser LASIK surgery on my eyes. It was a traveling surgical unit. And I can remember walking up those steps going, what am I doing? I'm going to be blind. I know I'm going to be blind. And I was scared to death. But when you walked in, it was—it literally looked like a doctor's office. But I'm telling you, it was a semi-truck. And sure enough, I you know went through the procedure. And 13 years later, I still have 20-20 vision. It was one of the best decisions that I ever made. And, you know, it's crazy. But I tell you that story because as God talks with us tonight about vision... I want you to consider that it's very likely that he wants to do some surgery on your spiritual vision tonight. Okay? And you might think, well, I didn't come here for that. I just came here to get in the hot tub and like hang out and things like that and maybe be a little bit inspired. And you can do all of that. You know, we want you to do all of that. But I I I know that God has more in mind for you. See, it might seem as unlikely to you that God could change. The way you've looked at things for a long time or things that you've not been able to see as that day it looked for me climbing on a semi truck that all these years of not being able to see well could actually change. But let's not discount what can happen when a woman is willing to climb on board and really let God speak to her about eternity and her vision. And see here's the thing. There's only maybe some of us in the room who have had physical vision problems, right? And if you haven't, you should be praising God or you would have a story like me of all the different things and Frosted plate contacts that you fried when you were, you know, too tired in college. But although only some of us maybe have had physical vision problems, I know without a doubt, every one of us have spiritual vision problems. And I don't say that in the past tense. I say that in the present tense because it is a daily issue that that we deal with every one of us every person on the planet struggles to have clear spiritual vision an ability to see with eternity eyes that look beyond this world you know we all tend to be very nearsighted spiritually we have our eyes so fixed on the things that are just right in front of us that we can't discern The things that God wants to see beyond us. And I'm not just talking about things in heaven. I'm talking about things beyond our capability. Mm -hmm. Things beyond our thought processes. Things beyond the way we see ourselves, right? We can't see beyond those circumstances that we're in a lot of time. But if we really want to build our lives on eternity, our vision has got to be shifted. It's got to be surgically worked on by the God of of heaven. What was it Paul said in verse 18? It's that verse we're going to memorize. We fix our eyes. He's got to adjust our eyes so that we fix our eyes. Not on what is seen, but on what is... Memorize with me. unseen, right? Because what is seen is only temporal, but what is unseen is actually eternal, right? The first section of second corinthians 4 is really about vision that looks beyond we're going to read the first couple of verses and you might think i don't i don't really see that and i'll be honest with you i really didn't either (laughs) i had taught um several times before on these last three verses they've been power verses in my heart for many years and as we began preparing for this weekend, the Lord just kept pushing me to look at the whole chapter. And I was like, God, I just don't see it. I just don't see it. And I really wrestled and struggled with him. And then he began to open it up to me. So read him with me. And then we're going to um, we're gonna go through. And I'll show you some things that God um, has been showing me here. But in verses 1 and 2, it says, Therefore, since we have this ministry, as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. Now, in these verses, Paul is still speaking to the accusations against him. He's aware of all his troubles. You read through the first few chapters, and and you'll see that. And uh, what we find is we get to look at his perspective here. And what I want you to see, and what I, I know the Holy Spirit is wanting all of us to see is to look at Paul's example of how he looks beyond his trouble. Because, you know, we all have troubles of different kinds, right? And he's got this trouble that maybe you or I can't relate to. I mean, we weren't a pastor in Bible times that wrote a letter and then got slandered for it when we were just trying to do what God told us to do. But we've had other situations, right? And so read verse 1 with me again. It says, therefore, since we have this ministry as we receive mercy, we do not lose heart. What Paul is saying is, it doesn't really matter to me who comes against me. I'm not going to give up. I'm not losing heart in this. Why would he say that? Because he has a vision that sees that this is God's ministry. It's not his. He says, as we have received mercy. It was the mercy of God that Paul was ever in ministry at all. (laughs) We're going to talk about what his story was before he was in ministry in just a minute. And so he knows it doesn't belong to him. And he's looking beyond himself to the calling God put on his life. All of us have callings on our life, right? It's God's mercy that he calls us into and makes a way for us to do what he created us to do. God owns it all. And he's the author of our marriage if we're married. He's the author of our job, our kids, our health. Whatever it is that we're involved in and called into, whether it's a lifelong calling or a seasonal calling or a two-week calling or whatever it is, God calls us in and it's only by his mercy that he allows us to even live and breathe and have a life, right? All things are by him, the Bible says, and for him and to him. I love how the Message Bible reads this verse. It says, since God has so generously let us in on what he's doing... We're not about to throw up our hands and walk off the job just because we run into some occasional hard times. Paul has vision that sees beyond the momentary trouble because he has a vision to see God's put a call on my life and it's bigger than this little thing that's going on right now that feels very, very big, okay? So he's looking beyond his feelings. He's looking beyond the circumstance. And a lot of times we can't do that. We can only see what's right in front of us. But keep reading with me, and we'll see some more of this, okay? The people who were working against him, and, and, and they no doubt had twisted his words, and he could have easily done the same thing right back at them, which is what usually we're tempted to do, right? People start wrangling with us in words, and we run a wrangle right back. But what does he say? He says, but we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of God what's he saying there he's saying we've decided we're going to handle things with integrity because what we're really sharing with you is God's word it's not our word anyway now I don't know if when Paul wrote first Corinthians he realized okay this is like holy scripture that's going to be in a bible that people are going to be reading for 2,000 years and exalting as the word of God I, I doubt that he really knew that I, I really don't think that he did But he was convinced that what he had written was the word of God for those people and was the truth based on what the Holy Spirit had been teaching him and leading him to do. Listen to how that first part of verse 2 reads in the New Living Translation. It says, we reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. You know, I don't care who you are. You can be the Apostle Paul, all right? And he was pretty lofty in our opinion as as we know him to be such a great man of God. But when somebody slanders you and somebody misrepresents you or misjudges you, things rise up in our hearts, right? And a lot of times we do get into that wrangling of words. Even if we don't say it out loud, a lot of times, oh, we're saying it inside and we're saying it to somebody else. Things come up in our flesh, and that's all we can see, and that's all we can think about in that moment. But Paul is saying, I'm not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to take what God has given me to speak to these people and twist it all up because I'm upset. Mm-hmm. And that's because he knows these words of man, they're going to pass away. What does the Bible say? You know, the grass withers, the flowers fades. The only thing that's going to last is the word of God. It's going to be forever. And Paul can see beyond that momentary feeling and desire to get back at and get revenge, he knows that being true to the Word of God is is more important. There's one more thing here about Paul's vision in verse number two. Just read the whole verse with me this time. It says, But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or adulterating the Word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience, in the sight of God. Now it's kind of lofty wording. Let me just kind of put it in simple words for us. Basically he's saying, we've told you the truth. We haven't twisted it. You've also heard what these others have said. And now you're going to have to decide in God's sight what to do. Who to believe. You know, what 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 it's going what it's going to be. And Paul's vision here is seeing beyond man's approval. Because how often do we want to, you know, get somebody on our side, right? To tell him and make him come with us. And really. And so we'll convince. And we'll text. And we'll write another email. And we'll try to convince. And we'll say hey I want to talk to you about this one more time. Because we're so intent on trying to. Get, because we're just caught up right in the moment. And he's just released from that. I can just sense peace on him. We've told you. What, what we're going to do. You know by the manifestation of truth. We've shared the truth with you. And we're commending ourselves to you in God's sight. We're saying "God, God will show you. And he's leaving it that he can see beyond the moment in that he's definitely having a vision beyond himself, seeing purpose in his calling. That's beyond his circumstances and his feelings, seeing beyond his momentary feeling to need to get back to, you know, for the people to actually be able to hear God's word and seeing beyond that need for man's approval. And I I love it. it's like he's looking beyond himself just like he says later in the conversation in verse 18 when he says we fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen now i don't know about you but for me having eyes that see beyond myself and my situations my circumstances my feelings my flesh is very very difficult i haven't just had physical sight problems since i was really little I've had spiritual sight problems since I was very little I can be, I was very nearsighted physically I'm very nearsighted spiritually a lot of times And we need to understand, it wasn't always easy for Paul either It's not like he just became super giant Christian and could, you know, see, see beyond Probably most of us in here know Paul's story uh, But it comes from quite a few different passages from scripture So let me just kind of summarize it Paul would have been one of those kids who grew up with the best of the best. And in this case, his case, the Jewish version of, of all that. He had grown up with a sense of worldly prosperity. And, and it continued into adulthood. He was a young religious leader when Jesus would have been on the scene. Doing his miracles and moving among the people. When Jesus was crucified. And buried and resurrected, Paul was coming up the ranks of religious leader. And in that culture, that was the way to pretty much worldly success. And uh, it just had a religious veneer over, over the top of it. And so he was this, this you know, young man coming up. And Jesus comes on the scene and is really kind of messing up his plans, basically. Because he's really trying to undo all of that religious veneer system. And so he was this young man who all of his life had been educated in the scriptures. He probably had memorized most of what we now call the Old Testament. Which is pretty much tons of prophecy about the Messiah Jesus. And yet Jesus was right in front of him and he couldn't see that he was there. And they talk about being, having spiritual, you know, vision problems. But after Jesus died and then resurrected and the church started to grow... Paul started to actually persecute Christians because they were such a threat, right, to his plan for his life. And so that, you know, that's why he was, he was doing that. But then God showed up and he did some major surgery on Paul's vision. He was going down the path to Damascus to kill Christians, literally kill them, because they were in his way of what he wanted to build in this sand, And Jesus shows up, blinds his light with the glory of God, and starts talking to him. And Paul's like, who are you? And Jesus begins to speak to him. And in that moment, he got a view of God that he had never seen before. And he realized, everything that I'm building my life on doesn't even really matter. I haven't even known who God is. I've never really seen him before. He missed the eternal God in the middle of all his religious doing because he was really trying to serve himself and build this life that was going to wash away, you know, with the seasons, with the seasons of life. That day, Paul's whole vision changed, his whole life changed, and Jesus literally adjusted his vision so it got his sight off the world and himself, and it gave him a vision to see beyond all of that to the eternity that God had put inside of his heart. Vision of of Christ and his gospel. I mean, he literally heard the gospel from Jesus himself. I mean, I can't imagine what that would would be like. Vision for the purpose. You know, God told him why he created him. I have anointed you, he said, to preach the gospel to the Gentiles. In other words, I'm telling it to you today and you're going to start preaching it, okay? I mean, he told him what he was created for and he got glimpses of this divine, supernatural life and glory of God that he could experience. Like our definition of eternity says, he began to see that Jesus was a real person, that he could talk to and know and relate to, and that Jesus could literally give him this fullness of life that he had been striving after all of his life, but he never could really seem to attain. What really happened for him that day was the veil was torn away, and Paul began to see way beyond, right, way beyond just himself, and so I think he understands better than anyone how your vision can really get messed up, I mean, here he had all his life learned the scriptures, and when Jesus was right in front of him, he didn't see him because there was a veil in front of his eyes, so I think he probably, even as probably hurt as he was by these people who had really slandered him, Because they were probably people that he had had relationship with. Probably people that he had eaten dinner in their homes and done a lot of things for. You know, maybe they hung out and played golf together or whatever they did back then. I mean, you know, these were people that he would have had relationship with. It hurt. And what I'm trying to help us to see here is this is not just some, you know, robotic situation that he could just put in a box and go, okay. I mean, his feelings and his heart were very attached to this. And so for him to be able to write this and and to be able to see beyond, I think even God used his prior circumstances to have the grace to know, boy, we can get it so messed up sometimes. We can have vision that just doesn't see the way God sees things. And it's like what he says in verses 3 and 4. He says, even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving, that they might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. See, there are really two kinds of spiritual vision, and these verses reveal them. There's a vision that is veiled to where you can't see, right? You can't see beyond this life. And then there's a vision that's clear, where you can see beyond it. These two kinds of people are put in two different categories, and I think they're really the same kind of categories that Jesus was talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. People that can see beyond know it's foolishness to build here in the sand. People whose eyes are not clear and cannot see beyond, and there's a veil in front of eyes, we just strive and toil and all this stuff to build a life here in the sand, because we can't even see. Vision is very important if you want to build something. You have to see well to actually do the work. And if we want to be able to build a life on the eternal rock of Christ, we've got to have clear eyes. We have to. Without it, we're just going to settle, right? We'll just settle into being just like everybody else, not building for eternity, building in the sand. But clear vision actually sees beyond. And in these two verses, verses 3 and 4, Paul's talking about people who don't have clear eyes. Their vision is not clear spiritually. But I want us to be very careful as we read these. To look at them in the context. Because it would be very easy to read them and think, Okay, Paul's talking about people who have never heard about Jesus. Who don't believe in Jesus. Who are are not saved. And we, we, we would think that. And obviously so, because it says people who are perishing. And he says people who are unbelieving. Now, those things are true of the unsaved. People who don't know Jesus are perishing, right? And they don't believe in Jesus. But who is Paul writing this to? He's not writing this about unbelievers. He's writing this to people who have come against him for the letter that he wrote that the Holy Spirit instructed him to write. He's writing this to people who are in the church, who had done all these things. And I believe he's talking here, because of that, I believe he's talking here to believers who have vision problems. People who have said, yes, I believe in Jesus. He's the son of God and I want his salvation. But they still live with these veils over their eyes. And I think the Holy, I I know, as I was studying this, the Holy Spirit gave me a term for people like that. And I can say people like me because sometimes I am this person. And we could call these kinds of people unbelieving believers, okay? We believe God for salvation, but in day-to-day life and building our lives we don't believe him we don't believe him and the reason is because we can't see there are veils in front of our eyes vision problems happen for christians too we don't all of a sudden you know get saved and then our vision is clear we have to let god do a work on our vision we can so easily fall into viewing the situations in our lives with a sand focus how do they look how do people around me think they look how do they feel what did somebody say about it? What does the culture say about what I'm dealing with here? What does my background and expectations and desires say about this thing? All of that is all just nearsighted, nearsighted vision. And when we have that kind of vision, it twists into the way we believe things or, or, or our thoughts, and then our beliefs begin to get distorted, and then before we know it, We're unbelieving believers, and like I was when I was five years old, we don't even realize that we're unbelieving believers because we're just digging sandcastles and building them and dumping over buckets just like everybody else around us. We're not looking beyond our situations to the light of the gospel of Christ because the world's got our focus. And we literally become these people who are perishing, okay? Now, we probably don't like to think of ourselves like that. That's kind of a hard term because we use that perishing word for people who don't know Jesus, right? I don't know if you grew up in the church singing hymns like me, but we sang rescue the perishing care for the dying you know, did anybody sing that song? that was one of the hymns, yes, yes rescue the perishing, you know we're going to all go out and do that because that was those people that's not us, we're not perishing but perishing we'll have to sing, Amber can we sing that hymn tomorrow? (laughs) I'm just joking but um um (laughs) But see, here's the thing. Perishing in the original language really has two meanings. The first one is going to hell, okay? Which is what we would think of, all right? The second part of that meaning is really two-part. It's bringing to ruin and rendered useless. And I think that's the heart of what Paul is really saying here. He can see that these people who are coming against him for what God instructed him to write, which was truth, They don't have a vision for eternity. They don't have a vision of the eternal King, Jesus. They're all caught up in their moment, all caught up in the culture, all caught up in the belief of the day, of the immorality that was okay, and they're building on the sand, and that's what happens when our vision is messed up. The life that we're supposed to be building for eternity is brought to ruin. And it's rendered useless for the purpose for which God created us when he put eternity into our hearts. And literally what happens here is exactly what Paul says. The God of this world blinds our minds. And he, he puts up these veils in front of our eyes where we don't see the God who's been unveiled for us to see. And it may be that that word unbelieving describes you know, even some of us here tonight. Spiritual vision problems happen all the time. And the root of those problems is unbelief. It's unbelief. And it happened from the very beginning. You go all the way back to the Garden of Eden, right? And that's where this whole vision problem started. Eden was designed with eternity in mind. The fellowship of God with man, perfection in every way. It was all designed for the fullness, the bigness of life of God's presence, the fullness of life that would never end, that pushes beyond any boundary. But ever since that first sin in the Garden of Eden, which happened because they didn't really believe what God said, right? That glory of God got veiled. A veil was put up, and they couldn't see God anymore. The bigness of God. The light of God, the satisfaction, the deep satisfaction that God can give, the perfection of God, the joy, the pleasure, the goodness, it all just got pushed behind this, this veil. After Adam and Eve sinned, you can read in, in Genesis 3 and 4, things, things looked different. They couldn't see the way that they had seen before. They couldn't see this abundance of eternal life that God created them for because of this veil. Everything began to get wonky, Right? Before God they, they could before sin, they could see God in all of um, His fullness. Before sin, they knew why they were created to glorify God and enjoy the abundance of eternal life forever and ever and just enjoy him. But after sin, when they didn't believe what God said and they did their own thing, everything looked different. Right? They started scrambling to cover themselves up and you know, pointing fingers and blaming and, and everything looked different. And life became about satisfying the momentary desire, the things that are right in front of them. And that's why it didn't take but three chapters later and God is saying, I wish I had never made these people. The whole lot of them, their, every intent of their thoughts of their heart is only toward evil all the time. And not living in the eternity um, in the eternity that god had for them and that's how mankind lived until christ came to set us free to a new kind of life he set us free to not live by our flesh not live by the momentary desire but to live by his spirit not for the moment but the fullness of eternity and let's remember what eternity is it's more than a continual length of time. Just this infinite length of time. And I'm telling you. We've thought of it so long that way. That you're going to have to literally take your brain and go. We're not thinking of it like that anymore. That's not all that it is. It's not just an eternal length of time. It's a depth. Right? It, just like eternity pushes out in this direction forever. It pushes down into a depth. It pushes up into a height. It pushes out into width and breadth of life right we hear eternal life and we think oh that's heaven eternal life the, the word for life in scripture <laughs> is, that is used most often when jesus says i come to give you eternal life it's the life of god it's him putting his life inside of us and us being able to begin to experience all the abundance that he has for us yes it will last forever but it begins in that moment that we receive christ and yet we continue to live in this little you know vision that, oh, just see this and god saying push out in every boundary eternity is more than just waiting for something I'm going to give you then Satan has blinded our minds and he's tricking us into believing that we just need to build for right now and hopefully say God please come and bless my life and God say I have more life for you I've already given it to you push it out let, let what I have inside of you and I'm getting ahead of myself but we'll talk about that more tomorrow night but just let it come out let, let me work in you it's a depth it's a breath of relationship with the one true eternal God and God when he puts his spirit inside of us he's inviting us into that rich substance of divine eternal life of being you know something that's more than we could ever envision or imagine if we just look at things from a fleshly perspective that's why when you hear jesus speaking all through the gospels he was constantly saying you've heard that it was said but let me tell you the way it really is right didn't he say that all the time you've heard that it was said but i tell you the sermon announced full of that in other places as well. He's referencing, okay, this is the way you see it, but let me tell you the way you really should see it. He's saying, I have a better way for you to see things. It's bigger, it's broader, it stretches in every direction beyond yourself. Are you willing to look at that or you just want to keep on building right here doing this little thing that's all about you and yours? It's bigger. It stretches into infinity in every Direction, and it reminds me of something else that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. Which some of you might have read that before you came. It was one of the things we put out in the email. But Jesus said this in Matthew six. He said, "The lamp of the body is the eye. If your eye is clear, in other words, if you've got that clear vision, your whole body is going to be full of light. And we know it takes light to be able to see well, right?" And so I believe he's talking about having that eternal vision, eyes that can see beyond. But he also says, if your eye is bad, your whole body is going to be full of darkness. You won't be able to see. And when you can't see, you won't build in a place that you cannot, you cannot, you can't see. Jesus, the great physician, is so aware of the vision problems that we have. And so many of us have dark eyes. We need our vision corrected. So we've looked at Paul, right? And we've seen, wow, this amazing thing that God did in his life, correcting his vision, doing this surgery. And we've seen how now in this situation that Paul is in, and he had many situations you can read about in his life, in, in all through um, scripture, but we've looked at this one specifically and how he's looking beyond it with eyes that see beyond. And so that's Paul's story. And that's how God did surgery on Paul's site. And that's how in this situation for Paul, God is helping him to have that clear vision. It's one thing to look at Paul. But God wants to talk to each of us about our situation. Say the word situation. Situation. Situation, Okay? Do you have situations going on in your life? Every one of us do, right? Yes, we all have them. Things going on in our lives that demand we look at them demand we pay attention to them and we need to see that the way that we look at them determines where we're going to build are we going to build on the sand or are we going to build on the rock now sometimes the situations that we have going on in our life are really hard things they would be the low moments of life right but sometimes the situations that we have are the really high things they're the things that make our hearts sing and go wait hey, this is great you know i love this And that's the rhythm of life, right? Paul's talking about a hard situation. Well, Paul had good situations too. We've got to have clear vision in the low things, but we've also got to have clear vision in the high things because we don't have it in either one of those places or even just in the everyday, getting up, going to work, doing whatever we do. I think that was one of the lollipop questions, right? You know, what's your normal day look like? If we don't have clear vision in all of those times, we're just going to start... Pulling out the buckets, right? And, and building our sandcastles. I mean, some of us tonight, maybe we're dealing with a situation of a relationship that's gone really, really sour. And we're like, how did that happen? And that's a low thing. But some of us are maybe building a new house. And that's really an exciting thing. Or some of us have a really challenging dynamic going on at work. And we just don't really know what to do with it. Or some of us have a new friendship. And it's just like, this is awesome. Or some of us are struggling with a sin pattern. You know, that we can't get rid of it. And, and, and that's just a low thing. And some of us have gotten, I got a raise this week. This is, you know, this is great. Or we've got a goal. Can't reach this goal. Or maybe we're working on a project. That's awesome. I mean, right? We've got the highs. We've got the lows. And we've got the, just the things, the normal things. They're the pieces of light. And we have to have 2020 clear spiritual vision in all of those things. Because the way we respond and the way we look at all of those things determines where we build. And I know the Holy Spirit wants to talk to us about this. And you know, the way that you test somebody's vision is by doing a vision test, right? You, you put the little thing up there and you make them sit over there and you put these things over these eyes and all that. Well, that's not how you do spiritual vision tests, okay? Um, at least I couldn't figure out how to do it like, like that. But the Lord began to show me some test questions that really come right from these four verses that we've looked at that I think can be a spiritual assessment For our our vision assessment for our spiritual vision. I'm going to tell you what the questions are. And then we're going to go through them um, one by one. Verse 1. A question would be, do you lose heart? Verse 2. Do you purely handle the word of God? Verse 3. You'll get them because we're going to go back through them, okay? Verse verse 2 still. Do you assess things in God's sight? Verse 4. Is there a veil in front of your eyes that's causing you to be an unbelieving believer? Verse 4. Do you see the light of the knowledge of the glory of God? And then the main question, do you have eternal vision? So we're going to go through each one. I know some of you are working ah, writing so fast. You'll get it, okay? I promise. Okay, so the first question, verse 1. If you just follow with me through the text, the questions will be right there. Do you lose heart? In verse 1, Paul says, therefore, okay, it's a, it's a connecting word. He's looking at his situation, and then he's saying what his response is. And so we need to look at whatever your situation is going on right now, and you might even have several of them. How do you respond? What's your therefore? Therefore, I'm giving up. Therefore, this is all for naught. Therefore, this is done. This is over. Therefore, I'm sick of this. I'm out of here. I'm done. Whatever it is. Or is it therefore? I don't lose heart. What, what is our response? Anything causes us to lose heart or to give up Then we're not seeing life with eternal vision Because here's the thing Even if I lose Everything I have even if I lose my life one of the beautiful things I see When I clearly look at the glorious light of the gospel of Christ is there is no sting in death, right? There's actually victory. Death is not an end. There's always, always, always hope in Christ. So I should never lose heart. If I ever see myself losing heart, then I'm not seeing with clear eyes an eternity vision. There's always hope in Christ. His promise, I mean, just a few things, working all things together for good. His promise of bringing beauty from ashes. His promise of giving us a new glorious body in heaven. His promise of resurrecting things that die. These are the promises of Jesus. And they call me to see beyond these troubles into the eternal promises of God, no matter what situation is going on in my life. So I cannot lose heart. I cannot despair. One of my favorite verses in Psalm 27, 13 and 14, I would have despaired, okay? (laughs) If I was anybody else, and I was just building my life in the sand, I would despair, but there's a big word in there that says, but, okay. I wouldn't despair, but I believe that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And it goes on to say, wait for the Lord, be strong and let your heart take courage. Let your eyes look beyond. All right. And it's, it's hard to do that sometimes. It's like, a, are you really, i really trying to say beyond because this thing really has my attention. This thing really hurts. This thing really is hard, God. But we always can find hope in Jesus. Therefore, we do not lose heart. That is definitely a value of eternal vision. So that's the first question. Second question. It comes from verse 2. Do you purely handle the word of God? In verse 2, Paul said this. He said he was not walking in craftiness or adulterating the word of god that's kind of a weird phrase isn't it (laughs) adulterating the word of god i want us to dig into this for a moment when somebody gets involved in adultery they're stepping outside the bounds of their marital relationship to satisfy some desires right they're neglecting the relationship that they made a commitment to now there's a lot of dynamics that come into play when adultery happens but For right now, let's just look at these two. In adultery, affection is taken away from the spouse, right? And it's given to another person, which is basically neglect of the marriage. In adultery, momentary desire wins over that long-term commitment, which is basically neglect of the commitment because I want to satisfy a need that I've um, decided I have in my life. So the dynamics of adultery, um, those are some of the dynamics of adultery. And I want to say, I don't say that lightly because I know in a room this size, there's probably some of us that have been affected by adultery in one way or another. And if that's the case, you understand this even more than maybe some of us that haven't would. But here's what often happens that's so interesting. And just having been in ministry for many years, I've seen this happen so many times. Even though somebody's committing adultery, more often than not, They still want to be able to have the other relationship, their marriage relationship. They still want to be able to come home and have their laundry done and eat their meals and have part ownership of the house and, you know, be able to be in the family and have Christmas with the family and do all those things. They just want to be able to do this over here as well. Would you agree with me that many believers handle the word of God just like that? I did it for years because I was building my life on the sand. I didn't see how important the word of God was because I didn't have eternal vision. I was all about right now. And I thought that everybody else's words around me were more important than God's. Even though I had committed to God with my whole life and said, I'm yours. You first, God. And on Sundays, I would sing, it's all about you, God. It's not about me. But then I would go out on Monday and I would listen to everybody else and never, never open my Bible, never listen to that. I would have never said that everybody else's words were more important than God's. Just like an adulterer would never say, oh, this woman is more important than my wife. But that's what they believe, right? Because that's how they're, they're living. And could it be that many believers relate with God's word in the same way? See, a lot of us take our affection for God's word and we give it to the world. Because our momentary desire to listen to somebody else or to hear what everybody's talking about on Facebook or... To listen to this talk show or read this book or whatever replaces our commitment to the word of God. We basically have an affair with the world. But so often we still want God to listen to us when we come to him with our dirty problems, right? We still want to have a mansion in heaven and a future with God. Just like so often what happens in adultery. The key word in adultery, I believe it, the more I think about it, is neglect. You neglect your spouse, you neglect your vows, you neglect your commitment, all to serve a self-centered desire that's fleeting and temporal. And Paul is saying, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to neglect God's word to satisfy my desire in this moment, in this situation. He says that, I believe, because his eyes are fixed on eternity. Now, his situation is not our situation. we have to look at ourselves and say am I neglecting the Word of God and if we are then more than likely our vision is not clear all right that takes us right into the next question do I assess things in God's sight this is also verse 2 after all his explanation of chapters 1 through 3 Paul says by the manifestation of truth we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God in other words You've heard those who slandered us. They've told you what they think about us. And then Paul's saying, you've heard me explain it to you. But you've got to decide in God's sight. Because the way God sees it is what really matters. And Paul is urging the people to take their concern to God. Stop talking to one another about it. Stop talking to him about it. And judge the situation. Put it through the filter of the way that God looks at things. And one of the ways that we can know if we have eternal vision or not is do we assess things in God's sight? Do we take the big things, the great things in our life and the low things and the mundane things and say God, what do you think about those? Do we hand them to His sight and look at them the way He sees them or are we constantly just developing our opinions or asking everybody else for their opinions but never really seeking God's counsel to see what does He think about you know this this new expense that I'm going to have or this horrible problem or should I Should I talk to that person or should I keep my mouth shut or should I buy this or, you know, should I enter into this? Do I assess things in God's sight? We have a tendency to bring the big things to God. But what about the little things? All things should be assessed in God's sight. Everything. Because every every step of our life is a building, either here or there. Either here or in the bigness of eternity. And we have to do that. I like to think of it as building in God's neighborhood. And if the neighborhood belongs to him, you know, if you're going to build a house in, in a new neighborhood, there are covenants, right? Where people get to say, you know, they, they get to make the rules of what you're allowed to do and what that's supposed to look like because they have a vision of how that neighborhood is supposed to look. Well, God has made a lot of covenants with us. He has a lot of opinions about things. And if I'm going to really build a house in his eternal neighborhood, I need to seek his counsel and see what his vision is. And assess things in his sight. Now these are a lot of serious questions. I know it's heavy stuff. But eye surgery is really serious business. Right? Okay. So let's look at the next question. Is there a veil in front of my eyes. That's causing me to be an unbelieving believer. Verses 3 and 4 talk about veils. That the enemy. The God of this world. Uses to blind our eyes. So that we don't see things the way that God sees them. And we want to ask ourselves. Do I have veils in front of my eyes? Am I I a believer who's allowed the enemy to put things in front of me so that I don't see the glory of Christ, who is the image of God? See, when we look into the face of Christ, and we have clear vision to see the face of Christ, what we're really seeing is the face of God. Because Jesus is God. And we get a clear view of him. We'll be talking about that a um, a lot more this weekend. But I want to clarify the word veil in two ways. See, everybody has a big veil. In front of their eyes um, before we're saved. The veil would be that veil that separates God from man because of our sin, right? And that was represented in the Old Testament. You've probably heard this before, but in the temple, the tabernacle when it was first built, and then when the temple later, you know, there was a holy place and then the Holy of Holies, and there was the big veil that separated those two rooms. Only the high priest could go into the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, where Um, you know God's presence was and that was because of sin there was no access for us to be able to see God or know him personally but when Jesus died what happened that veil was split in two from top to bottom in other words the heaven did that okay split it and, and two, signifying that now everyone has access to be able to go into the throne room and be able to see God in the face of Christ, like verse four says, the light of the gospel that Jesus died and and took all the payment of our sin now allows us to go in and be able to see see God through the face through the face of Christ. And so that's that's really a beautiful thing. And that that kind of veil is torn away. When we say, yes, Jesus, I want to believe in you as my Savior. I want to know the eternal life. I want to receive the eternal life that you give me. That veil, that veil is gone. But how many of us know that even after that, the enemy, he knows that he can't, you know, keep us from the eternal life as far as experiencing it one day in heaven. But how many of us know that he tries to put up, I think he's like, took all these little pieces of that veil and like just tries to tack them up in front of our eyes. I can just have this vision of him doing that, like cutting little snips and like this one will fit over Paula's eyes. Like, I think that will work real good for her and that for Vicki and that for Stephanie. And we just put them up just in vulnerabilities where we have these things. And so that he's like, I'm just going to blind. It's not like he's going to, it's not like he's going to keep it from us completely. Right? We can see a little bit, but things are blurry and they're fuzzy. And he keeps us from the bigness, the life, the abundance, the fullness, because he doesn't allow us to see, to see God. And yet in the power of Christ, all we got to do is rip those veils down. (laughs) They don't have to be there. They don't have to be there. These people could have easily repented and turned their heart to this instruction and this correction that had been given to them. But instead they like, you're not going to tell me what to do. This is the way we've always done it. Don't, don't you be coming around in my town and telling us that this is not the way that you know we're supposed to live. And he does that to keep us disconnected and building here. Just enough to keep us in a place of unbelief. Just tacking up those veils. Remember the word perishing from verse 3? How it means rendering useless? Satan wants to render us useless in building a fruit-filled eternal life. As a believer, we'll still get to heaven. But I'll tell you, we're going to miss out on many of the rewards of eternity, both here and there. And we'll talk about that even more on Saturday night. Unbelief, this unbelief that we enter into because of these veils causes us to build little when God wants us to build big. Causes us to build here so much building here that we don't have time, nor energy, nor affection, nor finances to build there. And then he renders our purpose useless. All because we can't see eternity. There are these veils in front of our eyes. The question is, is there a veil in front of my eyes? And we each have to ask that. You know, here I am acting like a common unbeliever. Digging holes in the sand. When God has gloriously saved me to be building in his eternal neighborhood. I've had a lot of veils over my eyes over the years. And I've had to learn how to tear those things down in the power of Christ. Veils of selfishness, veils of bitterness, veils of materialism and despair and offense, discontentment, anger, boredom, worry, fear, rejection, following trends and laziness and distractions. I mean, all kinds of things. There are so many different ways that the enemy just tries to tack up these things so that we won't really look at the Lord and have our vision clear I believe a synonym for these veils would actually be lies, okay? Satan tacks up lies in front of our eyes, and and we believe him. And then we don't see Christ. And we don't have the faith to really believe Jesus and the promises he's made us for these day-to-day moments. To see them as true and right. So you have to say, are there veils up in front of my eyes? And the last question is, do I see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ? In my own life, I accepted Jesus at eight years old, and I heard that Jesus died on the cross to save me from my sins, and I knew that as a fact. I knew all that in my head. But I'll tell you, the eternal light that gives that gospel color and richness and glory really didn't fill my vision for 19 years. I knew those things it's just a one-dimensional fact that really did not much in my heart. But then, when the glorious light of the gospel really shined in my heart, when I was about 29 years old, it lit up my soul. How does it happen like that? I mean, how can we know about Christ and still not really see? Well, I know for me personally, and for a lot of people, it was because I neglected the word of God. The light of this truth was revealed in the Bible, but I rarely opened it. Because I was living by my momentary desires and I had all these veils in front of my eyes and I didn't even know that I had the power to take them down. And so these veils didn't allow me to see the rays of Christ's glory that would shine in my heart and reveal God to me. I didn't see the image of God really as a child and even for much into my early adult life. I had grown up in such a legalistic environment that I saw God as this angry God waiting to catch me doing something wrong. By nature, I'm a rule-following girl. And so that you know, the enemy just played right into those vulnerabilities. And so I didn't hardly ever open God's word. I didn't see the eternal nature of God in the face of Christ. I didn't see his unfailing love for me that was pushing out the bounds of eternity in every direction. It's high. It's wide. It's deep. I knew it as a fact in my head, but I didn't ever feel it in my heart. I didn't have eyes that could see that his eyes actually see me. I felt lost and forgotten most of the time. And so I didn't have the eyes to believe that God actually saw me and knew me personally. I remember the first time that I really started reading Psalm 139 and saw that God had thoughts toward me that were as many as the grains of sand on the seashore. And I was like, really? And, I, and I've been to the beach enough to know, I mean, that would be a lot just right there. And, I mean, goodness. I mean, that's just like, my brain can't even contain the eternity of that. I, I, the, like our definition says, you know, that our fleshly lives cannot even envision or imagine. You go look at all that sand. I was sweeping this patio the other day because of the hurricane and there was still so much sand here and i mean it just wouldn't go away there was so much sand everywhere and god is saying that's what the truth of is that's eternity ladies it pushes out in every direction that we can't even and we can live in that and we can see that way all the time but i was never in his word so i didn't i didn't see that and i sat over here little old me Digging my holes, dumping my buckets, feeling lost and forgotten and trying to make something that somebody might come along and look at and go, oh, what a beautiful castle. When my guy was thinking of me all the time and I didn't even know it. I didn't know that he had a heart that cared so deep or that his provision was there to meet every single need I had. I didn't know how holy he was and how beautiful that holiness was. I looked at his rules that I had to follow instead of a holiness that he invites me into that will give me life and just... Break open a satisfaction that's so deep. I can't even contain the joy of that. His purpose in creating me. I didn't see it. But when I was 29. In his mercy. Just like Paul said here. We received mercy. And it was mercy for me. God reached in. And started taking down the veils. Specifically the first veil. That was just a resentment toward his word. A boredom with his word. And began to show me the treasure that it was. And then I began to get glimpses of the glory of God in the face of Christ. And I wanted to see more. And so when he would begin to tack up those veils, I would be like, no, 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 that's coming down. Because to live, I have to see Christ. Just like Paul says, for me to live is Christ. I've got to be able to see him. I've got to be able to look at him daily. I've got to know these truths daily and have this clear vision. Or life just isn't even really worth living to me if I can't see Christ. All of these questions are really designed to help us answer the big question, do I have eternal vision? Has God done surgery on my eyes so that in every single moment, whether good, bad, just the daily stuff, I see beyond this flesh and into the bigger life, the abundant life that God has for me. It's a very important question that every one of us need to answer because vision is absolutely essential to building. None of us would ever hire a blind contractor to build us a house. It just doesn't make sense. All right. It says nothing about the quality of who they are as people if they're blind. But they're not able to do the job. And if we're blind spiritually, we cannot build for eternity. We have to have our eyes clear. So maybe even tonight, some of these questions revealed eyes that maybe aren't seeing beyond this life to eternity. Don't be alarmed. (laughs) That can change because the Lord is able to do that surgery on our sight, And you're in the right place. Like you're on, you're on the semi-truck. It's just a beautiful semi-truck on the inside, <laughs> right? Okay? The first step is revealing there's a problem. When I was five, I didn't know I had a problem. Until so somebody said, you can't see anything, you know? And maybe some of us even tonight didn't realize we had a vision problem. Or maybe we've known we have for years, but we're like, I just don't know what to do to fix that god i am so thankful for the physical surgery that god allowed me to have what a blessing it's been to be able to not have to wear contacts and wake up in the middle of the night and be able to look at the clock and see it without fumbling for the glasses and all of those things but i'll tell you i'm even more thankful for the surgery that god has done on the eyes of my heart and that he continues to do and i want to tell you one more thing quickly as we finish out About this physical surgery. Because it really highlights a a really important aspect. Of what I think Jesus does for us spiritually. When I had the LASIK surgery done on my eyes. They left one of my eyes slightly nearsighted. And that was because I was 37. When I had the LASIK surgery. And the doctors were wise doctors. And they knew that I was going to soon be 40. And when you get to be in those 40s. Those of us who have been there. You're going to start having problems seeing things up close. Well I was naturally nearsighted. So they played on that, and they left me with uh, one eye that is still partially nearsighted on purpose to compensate for what they knew was coming. So I have what's called monovision. If I look with both eyes, I see 20-20. But if I just look out of this right eye, I'm going to be nearsighted sometimes. But because of that, I'll be 51 next month. And I still haven't had to get any kind of reader glasses or anything like that. That's why I'm the only one in the family now who doesn't wear glasses. And all of them have to. So I'm very thankful for how God has worked that out. But here's the thing. In the same way, Jesus knows we have to live here. He came and he did it. Right? He's already lived here. And he is the great physician. He is all wise and all knowing and he knows how to carefully work on our eyes to get them just balanced enough to allow us to be able to see enough to live well here but to keep our eyes and our efforts on building there for the bigger eternity that he has for us and he does that surgery on our eyes in a continual way through his word hebrews 4:12 says the word of god is alive and active i say it all the time this is not a book. It looks like a book, but it's not a book. It's actually like the Message Bible calls it a surgeon's scalpel. Okay, That he gets in and cuts away the things that are not beneficial for us. And he divides out things of the soul and things of the spirit. In other words, things of the flesh, things of the spirit. And he makes them work in a way that are um, consistent with what he designed us and how he designed us to live. And that's why it's so important that we're in the word of God so that we allow him to do that spiritual surgery work. some ver, uh, There are some verses that also talk about how he washes our eyes, all right? He cleanses our eyes, and how many of us know when we have an irritant in our eyes, we just can't see, right? But it feels so good. When we get that, that cleansing, you know, ointment or whatever we need in our eyes. And so we just encourage you this weekend, you know, you're here, we're going to enjoy all the amenities and all the different things that are here, the activities, but jump in with everything you have into the times where God is going to call you to be in, in his word. One of those things is tonight in your folder, you've got a roommate devotional. Okay. I know you're tired. Okay, I know maybe you haven't seen each other in a while. You'd like to hang out and just talk about whatever and do all that. But make sure before you go to bed that you take time to do this roommate devotional. Not only will it be good for just, you know, going through the material that's there, but it will also help to set the tone in your room for some really rich conversation throughout the weekend. You know, sometimes as women, we just need one of us to step up and start Some richer conversations that go a little deeper than just the idle stuff. And it's hard to do that. It it feels awkward sometimes. And so we're helping you. Okay? And so take the time to do that. Tomorrow morning, under your door, you're going to get a a paper. And it'll be all kinds of stuff on there. But on the back of it, you're going to have a devotional. Now, that's not for you to do with your roommate. That's for you to do on your own. Jump into that. It would be easy to sleep in an extra 20 minutes and not do that. But again, we want to jump into these opportunities. So just make sure you do that before you come to the study time. All of us are probably different as far as when we're going to eat breakfast and all those different things. And so we just encourage you to do that devotion. Do the memorization. Jump into these things. There's all kinds of things planned to be in the Word this weekend. Throughout the weekend, God's going to continue to talk to us about our vision. Just because we've done vision tonight doesn't mean vision's over. In fact, these words are going to build one on another. Vision, then vessel, then value, and then um, victory. But tonight the big takeaway is God wants us to hear loud and clear that he can give us eternal vision and he can keep that vision sharp. He did it for Paul. He's done it for many. He's done it for me. I know he's done it for many of you. He wants to do it for all of us. One of the things the Holy Spirit pointed out to me in this chapter is like an invitation You you may not have noticed it yet reading through it. I didn't at first. But then I was like, Paul never uses the word I, he never speaks of himself in the first person. It's always we throughout the whole chapter. Now, in this case, he's talking about Timothy and Silas. But the Holy Spirit showed me, really, it's an extending of an invitation to anybody who wants to jump into living with eternity vision. Living with an eternity view of our vessel and our value and all these things we're going to be talking about. It's an invitation. Any of us can join in. I want to be a part of the week. I want to be one of those people who, who li- really lives with building um, toward eternity. So in a moment, what we're going to do is have a...